The Freedom Dividend Podcast represents my opinion on financial markets, investing, economics, and politics. All information disseminated on the podcast is not investment advice. Anyone seeking financial advice should look to contact a licensed broker or industry-registered financial advisor. The Freedom Dividend Podcast is brought to you by Stay in Step, a veteran ministry podcast with Jay Barnes. Stay in Step is a veteran ministry to help service and prior service members and their families cope with transitioning into and out of military service. I've listened to the podcast myself. It's very good. It's very helpful for a lot of people that are new to the military, looking to get into the military, or are looking to get out of the military and transition back to civilian life. It's a very great podcast. A friend of mine put it together. Go ahead and give it a listen. It's available on Spotify, and they have a few episodes out already. So yesterday we got the CPI data month over month for the month of March. The numbers came in right at expectations of a 1.2% increase for the month in consumer prices. And if you extrapolate that out for an annualized number, that shows an increase in inflation of 14.4% year over year annualized. So March prices rose for consumers by 1.2% from last March to this March. But also, if you look at the year-over-year increase for a 1.2% increase on just one month, that shows an inflation rate of 14.4% year-over-year. We also got this morning the PPI month-over-month numbers for the producer price index, There, we saw an increase that beat expectations, an increase of even more than what we saw in the CPI. So producer prices for the month of March rose by 1.4% from last March. And again, you extrapolate that out on an annual basis. That shows over a 15% annualized inflation rate in producer prices. Again, these are prices that are going to need to be passed on from the businesses to consumers. And the businesses that are seeing higher costs for their business still haven't passed on the full effect of their rising costs from last year, because if you recall, everyone last year was clinging on to the idea that inflation was transitory. And so therefore, any businesses that experienced rises in their costs were hesitant to pass those costs on to their consumers because they were trying to wait it out and hope that their costs would come back down. But we're seeing now there's a lot of pressure in the business sectors all across the economy for rising prices and input costs. One of the big input costs, obviously, is materials prices. We have a lot of materials that go into making industrial products and cars and services very, very high. They're continuing to skyrocket. And again, this is showing that inflation is not yet peaking. Yesterday, when we got the CPI month-over-month numbers coming out, a lot of people in the markets were speculating that this is peak inflation and that this is going to be the end of rising inflation, and we're going to start to see it come back down in the future. Well, we got the PPI this morning, and that put an end to those talks. So when we got those numbers, immediately the price of gold rose. Oil is having a very strong day as well. The price of gold, as I'm speaking, is at $1,980 an ounce, and oil is back over $100 at $102.50 a barrel. 
And the markets are reacting pretty well to this news because rates have come back down this morning. As I'm looking, the Dow Jones is up 139 points. The S&P 500 is up over a half a percent. And the big winner is the NASDAQ, which is up one and a half percent this morning. And again, that's mostly because we got relief in Treasury yields rising. So because Treasury yields are coming down, that's providing some relief to the overall markets and the U.S. indices. But again, that is going to reverse. And I'll go over that because it's very important because a lot of people are looking at the bond market and bond yields are getting to a place where they're at their they're they're getting to a point point where people expect bond yields to come back down because bond yields haven't been going up for the last 40 years. The bond market has been in a bull market for 40 years. And if you think back to what was going on more than 40 years ago, that would put us into the 1970s. And that's the last time we had inflation the way we have it now. Uh, of course, the inflation is worse now than it was in the 1970s, but you'd have to go all the way back to the 1970s to experience a bond bear market. And that's because of the inflation going on at that time. Now, a lot of people are expecting that because rates haven't risen substantially in 40 years, that we're at peak for bond yields and that bond yields are going to start to come back down. Now, I think that's why you're also seeing traders today are buying uh, the NASDAQ and buying the more speculative tech stocks. If you look at the Kathy Wood ARK Innovation Fund, it's up about 3% intraday. So a lot of people are buying the more speculative growth stocks in the markets on this drop in bond yields. But really, the drop in bond yields makes no sense at all. Again, with the inflation data that's come out over the last two days, we're seeing that inflation is well above double-digit inflation. But again, the idea in the markets is that we've reached peak inflation. And so that's why people are now starting to buy bonds because they think interest rates are going to start to come back down since we've supposedly hit peak inflation. And so that's making bond prices go up and bond yields come down slightly. But again, this makes no sense because even at the current rates, if you look at the U.S. 10-year Treasury bond, as I'm speaking, it's yielding 2.67%, but yet we have inflation in the double digits. So that's over a negative 8% real rate of return. And again, there's no reason why you would buy bonds in this market. And I'll go over that a little bit later. But Tomorrow, we're going to get some uh, data for retail sales, and we're going to get unemployment claims and also import prices month over month. But it's very important to understand that we're not anywhere near peak inflation. Because if you look at where we are today, inflation data showed, again, a 1.2% increase year over year from last March. And again, if we have a 1.2% increase every month for an entire year, that is an annualized inflation rate of 14.4%. Now, many mainstream analysts are saying we've hit peak inflation, but the last time inflation was this high was in 1981. Now, if you go back to 1981, interest rates were at 20%, and that's for the overnight lending rate, the federal funds rate. Interest rates were as high as 20% in 1981. Today, they're at 0.25%. So we have interest rates for the overnight lending rate right now at one quarter of 1%. And if you also look at where 
uh, interest rates were for bonds during that time period, they were also in double digits. We're nowhere near close to double digit uh, coupon rates on bonds today. And if you also look at the dollar index, you know, and this is a very important point because the dollar index just hit a five-year high yesterday. We're now trading at over $100 for the dollar index. Again, the dollar has been going up against other fiat currencies around the world, which might not make any sense on the surface because you would say there's such high inflation and the purchasing power of U.S. dollars is getting diminished very, very quickly with all this inflation. Why is the U.S. dollar going up in value against other fiat currencies? Well, for one, there is an inflation problem in a lot of different co- economies around the world. In the UK, in Europe, Japan, Australia, in a lot of major economies around the globe, there are also inflation problems. But the inflation problems in other parts of the globe are not anywhere near as bad as they are in the United States. But also, because there is a lot of political risk out there in the markets right now, with both the Russia-Ukraine conflict and also with that's impact on European markets, a lot of people are buying the safer haven currencies in the markets. And one of those currencies happens to be the U.S. dollar. And so the U.S. dollar is catching a bid because a lot of people are purchasing it as a safer haven currency. You also have a lot of traders are going to cash uh, in order to avoid what they believe will be a downturn in the U.S. markets. And again, they're not necessarily wrong that stock prices in the U.S. are probably going to come down in the near future, but it doesn't make any sense to then go into cash where you're locking in a negative 8% or 14% rate of return because of inflation taking away the purchasing power of those dollars. But again, how can we be at peak inflation? All of the mainstream economists are saying we're in peak inflation. It's going to start to get better as we get into the summer, I mean, first of all, when we typically go into the summer months, people spend more money, right? And you see it now, people are going on all sorts of vacations. If you try and book a vacation right now, good luck with that, right? The airlines are full. Disney is packed with people. People are spending money all over the economy. The velocity of money is continuing to increase. There is no data that suggests that we're going to start to see inflation come back down. People just assume that inflation is going to come back down on its own because they don't understand what inflation is. And they also don't understand that there's nothing that is suggesting that we're going to have any type of deflationary pressures in the economy. Again, people are spending tons of money on food and energy. Look at the core PPI month over month. I mentioned that the producer price index rose by 1.4% this month. Well, the core producer price index, which strips out food and energy prices, what rose by 1% as well, beating expectations of just a half a percent. So what that means is Americans are spending a lot of money on food and energy. And when Americans have to spend a lot of money on food and energy, That obviously means that they have a lot less money to spend in other areas of the economy. And I keep hearing people talking about how you have to be in the cyclicals, in the cyclical trade where you buy companies that are uh, that have products and services in uh, discretionary spending areas. And it's just so misguided because we continue to see Americans are going deeper and deeper into debt. The inflation is killing the average American family. 
There's so much less purchasing power for Americans at the end of the day. Real wages are declining. And we're seeing that the American consumer is continuing to be stretched and stretched beyond belief. And again, I know people are out spending right now, but we have to look into the future because stocks are forward looking. If you're looking to buy cyclical stocks that sell products and services that are consumer discretionary products, meaning products that people don't have to buy, but people only buy when times are good, you have to look a month, two months, a year, two years into the future. You can't look at what's going on today. And it's very evident that the consumer is getting beaten up by this inflation. Everywhere you go, inflation is now a political topic. Everyone is complaining about prices. And again, everyone on CNBC and in the mainstream media for financial television keeps suggesting we're at peak inflation. They keep bringing up how gas prices have come back down. Well, look, again, oil is now trading back over $100 a barrel, right? We have agriculture products going up uh, at such a fast rate that people have never seen before. And you, you have all these shortages of goods, right? And again, inflation is occurring in all sectors throughout the economy, which suggests that we're not anywhere near a slowdown. Look at some of the stocks trading today that have to do with commodities. Newmont Mining, again, I've mentioned this before, the leading gold producer in the world, all-time record highs trading above $83 per share. Chevron, all-time highs, one of the biggest oil producers in America. Archer Daniels Midland, one of the biggest agricultural producers in America, all-time highs. If you are in commodity stocks, your portfolio is on fire right now. You are completely outperforming the markets. And again, it seems like every single day, these commodity stocks just continue to rip higher and higher and higher because, again, the, the prices of these products are not going to slow down anytime soon. So these companies are going to continue to bring in more and more uh, revenues. And the other part of this is it's part of the inflation trade because those who are getting this inflation trade correctly are buying value-oriented businesses and I've talked about this many times, but in this environment, you don't want to be buying the growth stocks, the typical ARK Innovation ETF stocks, right? You want to buy stocks that are producing earnings now, and you want to buy stocks that have a lot of pricing power to raise prices on their consumers, right? If you think about the typical commodity stocks, if an agricultural business is selling food, they can raise their prices and pass those prices onto the consumers and their consumers are just going to eat those prices. If gas companies raise their prices, people are not going to stop commuting to work. People are going to eat those higher prices, right? You think of a tobacco company, right? If someone is addicted to cigarettes, they're going to keep smoking those cigarettes. It doesn't matter how high the price of cigarettes go. So you have commodities companies are where you want to be because they have pricing power and they can pass higher costs onto their customers. Therefore, they generate higher profits in times of inflation and they can pass those higher profits onto you as a shareholder in the form of higher dividends. And that helps you as a shareholder beat inflation yourself because as your cost of living goes up, so does your dividend income. And that helps relieve some of the inflation pressures that you have. But also, Again, another asinine comment that I heard yesterday from downtown Josh Brown on CNBC, he said that with 
treasury yields above 2% on the on one-year T-bills and two-year treasury bonds, he'd be more than happy to park his sideline cash in those treasury bonds to collect those 2% coupons. Again, completely ridiculous. What good is a 2% interest payment when inflation is running at 14% year over year? That's a negative 12% loss that you are locking in by buying those treasury bonds. If he had any sort of an understanding of economics and he wants to keep some cash on the sidelines because he's looking to buy growth stocks and he thinks those growth stocks might drop, why would he not keep his money in gold where you're avoiding that 12% loss of purchasing power? And again, even if you don't want to keep your money in gold, why not buy the value-oriented stocks like, again, the Newmont Minings, the Chevrons, the Archer Daniels Midland, right? Those are paying dividends well above 2%. So even if you want cash flow and you're looking for a place to park your money, instead of sitting in cash and accepting a negative 12% return year over year, why would you not just buy companies that pay dividends that have pricing power and can pass higher costs onto their consumers? Again, it makes no sense. And again, the fact that people are buying bonds today because they think that somehow Inflation is going to go down automatically on its own. The Fed doesn't even have to do anything to fight it. Completely ridiculous. And these people couldn't be more wrong. Again, if you go back to the last time inflation was as high as it is now, you'd have to go back all the way to 1981. And the interest rates in 1981 were near 20%. And the inflation rate back then was about 14%. So the real interest rates back then were positive 6%. Real interest rates today are negative 14%. How is inflation going to go away with inflate with with interest rates at negative 14%? That is a highly stimulative economic policy, right? That is supposed to stimulate the economy. Anytime you have in- low interest rates or especially negative interest rates, the entire purpose of that is to stimulate uh, demand by getting people to borrow money, to spend more money, and bring forward demand. And if you have high uh, demand and low supply, what has to happen? Price goes up, right? It's like economics 101. If you ever take an economics class, one of the first things they will go over with you is the supply and demand curve, right? If you have demand is increasing and supply is decreasing, what happens? The price goes up. It's automatic. Well, that's exactly what this monetary policy from the Federal Reserve is creating. They're still continuing to flood the economy with money. They still haven't shrinking the money supply at all, right? They've printed $9 trillion since 2008. And albeit while the economy has just gone through a shutdown over the last couple of years. So you have Very few Americans working productively in the private sector to produce goods and services. So the supply of goods and services is extremely low. And again, the way I know that is by looking at our trade deficits, because we're running almost $100 billion of trade deficits every single month now. So we have a very low supply of goods and services in the economy, yet we have low interest rates, which are stimulating a high level of demand because people can borrow money at extremely cheap rates. Well, of course, what is that going to do? It's going to continue to make prices go up. But again, for some reason, many mainstream economists can't seem to figure this out. 
but it, it's very simple to understand if you have a very simple understanding of the supply and demand curve in economics. So inflation is going to continue to run out of control. Again, we're already now at 14% inflation uh, year over year if you annualize the inflation rate from last month. And again, if you buy bonds today, who knows? I mean, inflation is going to get even worse. And so the the last thing you want to do is be owed U.S. dollars in the future because the people who lose in an inflation environment are creditors. The last thing you want to do, aside from owning U.S. dollars yourself and locking in that heavy 14% loss for the year, is be owed U.S. dollars from somebody else because then you're locking in future losses as you're going to get paid back in the future, those U.S. dollars. So there is no reason to buy U.S. Treasury bonds today because they don't pay any interest to make up for the loss of purchasing power that you're going to have from inflation. And again, I understand if you're running a portfolio or you're managing money for clients, you don't want to be 100% invested in the markets. That's fine. But if any Thing, any if you would typically keep a 10 or 15 percent uh, cash on of that portfolio on the sidelines, you cannot do that in today's world. You have to find other things to do with that cash. You again, you can buy gold or silver. You can buy dividend-paying companies, right? You can't buy bonds again if you're just gonna if you're just gonna buy bonds with that money. You're better off just buy value-paying uh, value dividend-paying stocks, right? You're better off being 100% invested in the stock market right now if you're going to buy value-oriented uh, names. Now, if you're going to buy growth stocks or you're going to buy something very speculative like cryptocurrencies, you'll actually be much worse off uh, buying those products rather than just sitting in cash. And while I'm on the topic of cryptocurrencies, I just want to bring up Bitcoin because Bitcoin is now trading again below 40000 so if you go back to April 13th of last year, Bitcoin was trading above $65,000 a Bitcoin. So if you purchased Bitcoin last April 13th to hedge against inflation because you were worried about losing purchasing power to inflation, right? If you were worried about 14% inflation back then and you purchased Bitcoin, you've now lost 35% of your money. Bitcoin is down 35% year over year. Uh, and so in other words, if you were worried about 14% inflation, you bought Bitcoin, you've lost 35% of your money. What kind of an inflation hedge is that? Everyone again wants to say that Bitcoin is an inflation hedge, yet the price keeps going down. And if you weren't paying attention last week and it's running into this week as well, there's a huge Bitcoin conference going on down in Miami. You have tons of investors have come in and it's another pump and dump for this uh, pyramid scheme, if you want to call it that. But all of the news attention that Bitcoin's got over the past year, all of the supposed investors that have come into the market, you have uh, El Salvador has adapted it as official uh, legal tender. You have um, institutions supposedly coming in, right? We have two Bitcoin ETFs trading on the markets now. All these commercials for Bitcoin, right? You have the Matt Damon commercial. You had the Coinbase commercial during the Super Bowl, right? All of this supposed institutional investment coming in and all of this supposed support for Bitcoin and all this money spent on advertising 
And again, we just had the conference last week running into this week for Bitcoin, yet the price is down 35% over the last year. Now, there's an old saying, if you're sitting at a poker table for a half an hour and you can't figure out who the sucker at the table is, that means you're the sucker at the table, right? If you're in Bitcoin right now and you can't figure out why the price is going down, it's because all the big whales that are in Bitcoin that are promoting it on TV and telling you to buy it, on in secret, they're actually selling, right? There's somebody is selling Bitcoin out there. Even though you have MicroStrategy coming in and buying more every month on more borrowed money, right? You supposedly have more institutional adoption. The price keeps going down because people keep selling into the hype. But that's also a very bad sign for Bitcoin because most of the people that have gotten into Bitcoin got in in the last 12 months. More than 50% of people that own Bitcoin bought it within the last 12 months. So that means that there are people that own Bitcoin today that are much weaker hands than the typical uh, Bitcoin community, right? If you think of the typical person who supports Bitcoin, it's because they have a, a deep love for the product and they think that it's going to be the next world's reserve currency or that it's the future of money. They have political reasons for owning it and they're diehard Bitcoin fans. But most of the people, again, more than 50% of the people that own Bitcoin just own it because they're trying to make some quick, easy money. And again, that means that there's a lot more weakness to come for Bitcoin in the future because the more the price falls, the more likely people are to give up on it and sell. And then it can become a self-perpetuating spiral. But again, if, you, if you're sitting at a poker table and you don't know who the idiot at the table is, then it's probably you. Everyone's probably brought you to the poker game to try and take all your money. And so if you're in Bitcoin and you don't understand why it's going down, you have to wake up and realize it's going down because bigger people who got in before you are taking profits. And it's a pyramid that they've used your money and your buying to take profits. And again, believe me, Bitcoin has a long way to fall. If you watch the way it trades, it trades the exact opposite way of gold. Gold goes up on a given day, Bitcoin comes down. Bitcoin goes up on a given day, gold comes down. But if you have a rise in interest rates, all the tech stocks that sell off, Bitcoin goes right with it. And again, that's the direction that the markets are heading in. And Bitcoin is going to do very, very poorly in this next economic slowdown. And actually, Bitcoin has never even been through an economic slowdown before. Again, it's only really been in the mainstream for a few years now. It's been around for about 12, but it's only been in the mainstream for three years. But even if you go back to Bitcoin's origins, it was after the crash in 2008 when Bitcoin first got started. And so we've never actually seen how Bitcoin performs as an asset in a recession or in a global slowdown. And again, if you're buying it as a hedge against inflation, it's completely failing as a hedge against inflation. It's down 35% year over year and in, in a year where there's been 14% inflation. Again, if you go back and look at gold, gold is up year over year. Gold is outperforming the markets very nicely here over the first quarter and the start of the second quarter for this year. Again, gold is being purchased by real institutional buyers because they understand the inflation problem coming in. It's just that there's a lot more buyers going to come into the gold market because as I mentioned, there are still tons of people, 
like Josh Brown that haven't quite figured out yet how bad inflation is going to get. And people also haven't quite figured out yet how high bond yields are going to rise. With that, I want to get into, again, talking about the cyclical trade that everyone keeps mentioning. I watched the halftime report yesterday, and again, they had Jim Liebenthal on there. Now, Jim Liebenthal is a permable who is always in the market, always wants to buy stocks, completely ignores all the warning signs when we're about to head into a bear market or a financial crisis. And he's saying he wants to be most heavily involved in the biggest cyclical names, right? The airlines, um, the theme parks, uh, consumer discretionary spending, right? But again, if you look forward, inflation is hurting the consumer. People are having a hard time making ends meet. Now, again, there has been some demand for travel. Well, actually, a lot of demand for travel up until this point this year because people have been cooped up in the house for two years. People are tired of dealing with the pandemic. They're taking the vacations that they didn't get to take a year ago, two years ago, regardless of the price. But again, as food and energy prices continue to rise and real wages continue to sink, a lot of pressure is going to be placed on the typical American household, and they are going to cut back on their spending in other places. Food prices are up over 10% year over year. And if you look at the release of this month's CPI, you see food prices are going up substantially across the board, especially if you consider uh, meat or chicken um, or steak, fish. Um, if you look at things like uh, like um, canned goods, cereals, they're all going up. They're up 10% over the past year. And again, these are things that people have to buy. So if people have to buy these things, they either have to do it on credit or they have to cut back on their spending elsewhere. And so that's a very bad sign for cyclical businesses. And again, why would you want to own a cyclical business when we're on the precipice of the next recession? Again, as I covered in my last podcast, all of the yield curves have been inverting. That is the first telltale sign that we are headed for a recession. But the other piece of this that I want to cover is how Americans have been making up for inflation by taking on more debt. People are still taking on tons of credit card debt. In fact, credit card debt is continuing to increase exponentially over the past few months because people are really struggling to make ends meet. And so they're buying a lot of stuff that they need on credit cards and they're falling even further and further behind. But again, if we are going to have the Federal Reserve supposedly fight inflation, which again is still questionable, but if we have the Federal Reserve try to fight inflation, that means interest rates have to rise. And even if the Federal Reserve doesn't fight inflation and they let it run out of control, that means the market's going to force interest rates to rise anyway. If interest rates begin to rise, then that means that a lot less credit is going to be available to Americans to fall back on to make ends meet. Credit card rates will go up. Car loan rates will go up. A lot less available credit will be there to buy cars or to finance homes with 0% down or 2 or 3% down, right? As interest rates rise... Not only is it going to be more expensive to service uh, your debt, but also there's going to be a lot less credit available for new buying. And if there are tightening in credit conditions in the market, 
then the cyclical trade is probably the last place you'd want to be because, again, real wages are declining. Americans are struggling to make ends meet as it is. And there's no reason to expect why cyclical businesses will do extremely well moving forward. The only cyclical business that will do well moving forward, again, is any business that is in the commodity sector. And pretty much if you buy commodities across the board, you will do pretty well. Now, we have a slowdown in the lumber market because the housing market is starting to slow a little bit. Also, because the home building sector is really starting to struggle, as I got went over on the last podcast. But again, go across the board, agricultural products, oil, gold, silver, copper, industrial metals, right? A lot of these industrial metals are used to make electric vehicles. All of these are going up in price. And again, that's a huge windfall for a lot of these commodity businesses that can pass those higher prices onto their customers for more uh, profits. And then again, they can pass those profits on to you as a shareholder, either by issuing bigger dividends or announcing share buybacks. But again, that's where you want to be in this time period. Again, if you're, especially if you're looking to escape inflation, you got to own the stocks that pay dividends. You got to own value-oriented names. You can own real estate, but I'm not crazy about real estate because again, if interest rates rise substantially... That means there's a lot less buyers available on the market for real estate, which means real estate prices could come crashing down. But if you take on, if you do want to buy real estate, you shouldn't do it unless you buy it mostly with debt and it cash flows positively. Because again, you don't want to own, have a lot of equity in something if the value can come crashing down because interest rates rise. Now, I don't really like real estate as the best inflation hedge because one, if we have a lot of inflation, it's going to get very expensive to maintain that real estate, right? As I mean, we're even seeing it now. Um, insurance rates for homes are going up. Um, property taxes can always go up. You're seeing uh, the cost of maintenance for uh, repairing things around the house is going up. Uh, new construction costs are going up. And so any renovation costs that you have for a home is going to go up in an inflation environment as well. So you can have in a, in a scenario where there's high inflation and interest rates are rising, it can get more expensive to maintain your home while the value of the home is actually coming down. So I don't like the idea of buying a primary residence right now. But if you want to own real estate, it's still going to get more expensive to own the real estate. And if you own a rental property, again, if Americans are struggling more and more to make ends meet, it's not necessarily a guarantee that your tenants are going to be able to pay your rent. Uh, month after month after month in the next recession. So I don't really love real estate as an inflation hedge, although it can be an inflation hedge if you get the proper buy. But more specifically, what I do like as an inflation hedge, if you want to be in real estate, is agricultural land. Because again, agricultural products are going up in price. So if you own agricultural land that can produce food, then you that cash flow that that land can produce will go up because the food that you can grow is more valuable. And so therefore, that value of that property can actually go up. So I do like agricultural land. Uh, if you look at Gladstone Land Corps, which uh, owns a bunch of farmland that it leases to farmers, that stock is up almost 60% over the past year. Uh, and again, agricultural land and agricultural stocks are getting much more valuable. So that is a good inflation hedge. But again, I don't like the real estate sector as a whole 
it's very clear that a lot of real estate is overvalued because there is just such low interest rates that people are able to put down, again, as I said, 0% in many cases, only 5% to buy a home. If credit conditions tighten, not only will there be higher requirements for a bigger down payment on homes, but also the monthly mortgage payments will go up. And so there will be a lot less people able to afford uh, higher end homes. So I don't really love real estate. But again, if you have to own real estate, I would own land as opposed to uh, to a home or to a rental property. And then with that, obviously, uh, the better inflation hedges, again, are owning businesses. You want to own stocks that have pricing power that if their cost of production for their goods and services increases, they can pass those added costs onto their customers without affecting their sales volume. Again, that's where you find the agriculture companies, the oil companies, the metals, materials companies, right? Tobacco companies. Those are the types of stocks you want to be in. And oh, by the way, while you're at it, if you want to buy stocks to avoid inflation, you might as well avoid the US economy as well and avoid the US dollar that's actually getting inflated and buy companies that have global operations and a lot of exposure to foreign markets. So again, tomorrow we're going to get retail sales month over month. We're expecting a 0.6% increase there. We'll see if we get there. My expectation is that we'll either hit that mark or be a little below it. I don't think we're going to beat that expectation. But again, we'll see how the, the consumer is continuing to hold up. As I mentioned over the past several months, the consumer has gotten weaker and weaker. And by the way, if retail sales do increase, it's not necessarily because people are buying more stuff. It might just be because people are buying the same amount of stuff or less stuff, but it costs them more money to buy it. So I'll go over those numbers in a couple of days. We get that tomorrow. We get import prices month over month. And by the way, import prices and export prices are more reflective of what the real inflation is in the economy. Because as I've mentioned many times before, the way the CPI is calculated today as compared to the way it was calculated in 1981 is completely different. If we calculated the CPI today the same way it was calculated in 1981, inflation would probably be closer to 20% because the CPI data does not include real home prices, which have increased substantially over the past year. It doesn't include um, a lot of the real prices of goods and services because there are adjustments made in there. But Again, we, with import and export prices, it just goes over the price increases or decreases in imports and exports. And so when we get the import prices month over month tomorrow, we're expecting a big jump. If we get it there, that's more indicative of the prices of goods Americans are paying. So we'll go over that data. But again, we are nowhere near peak inflation. In order for us to get to peak inflation, the Federal Reserve has to get serious about fighting inflation. But in order for them to do that, either they themselves or the market has to allow interest rates to rise substantially to where we get real positive interest rates so that we can start to really impact the supply and demand curve that has been all messed up over the past decade.